Hey, everybody. Before we jump into today's podcast, we just want to let you know about a promotion from Copy Hackers that's going on this week, the last week of November 2017. Joanna and the team at Copy Hackers has pulled together a lot of the information that was included in the first three copywriter masterminds that she did with Copy Hackers and has made it available in one program called 10x Freelancer. Some of you know that both Kira and I participated in some of those masterminds. In fact, it's where we met and came up with the idea for the Copywriter Club. But when Joanna reached out to us, because she's such a a great mentor to the both of us, we said, absolutely, we'd love to help promote this program to the audience here at the Copywriter Club. So you might be wondering if this is for you or not. You know, this is not for you if you just want to work a few hours a day from a coffee shop or if you want to fiddle around with this freelancing thing until you finally go in-house. It's really for you if you're bigger than a freelance copywriter, and if you're ready to be an entrepreneur and take your business seriously. 10X Freelancer covers a lot of great information, like how to create proposals that your clients can't say no to, or how to control the billable time that you have, how to make sure that you're working smart and not just putting in time at your desk, wasting it on all kinds of different things. It covers even things like finding your unfair advantage and how to communicate that to your clients so that they want to work with you. And this is separate from our signature programs, the Copywriter Accelerator and the Copywriter Think Tank. Uh, both of those programs are currently not available. We'll open them up in the spring of 2018. So if you need something right now, we couldn't recommend this program more. To find out more about 10X Freelancer, go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash 10X. That's forward slash 10X. And that will take you to the sales page where you can learn all about what's included in the program. But it won't tell you about the two special bonuses that we're offering anybody who chooses to buy the program through the Copywriter Club. Kira, why don't you tell us about what those are? Yeah, so we're really excited about these bonuses. The first one is a 60-minute website and branding a strategy call with the two of us where we'll audit your current site and provide suggestions that you can implement immediately. And then the big, big, big bonus uh, that you want to get from us is a VIP ticket to the Copywriter Club live event, which is a $1,000 value. It's our first big event. We've been talking about it for the past year. And um, while we're locking in dates, it most likely will take place mid-February. Joanna will be there and also a handful of other awesome speakers that we're currently confirming. Uh, So this is definitely huge value and you get a complimentary ticket when you buy this program through our affiliate link. So to get everything included in 10X Freelancer, plus the one hour website strategy call with Kira and I, plus your ticket to the very first Copywriter Club live event worth $1,000, go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash 10X. You'll be redirected to the sales page. And if you decide to buy 10X Freelancer, you'll get those two bonuses, the strategy call and a ticket to our live event in February. We can't wait to see you there. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 59 as we talk with copywriter Justin Blackman about his journey from marketing manager for companies like Red Bull and 5-Hour Energy to copywriter and content manager. 
what it's like working as an in-house copywriter, balancing in-house work with freelance work and a family, and what he's learned from his 100-day headline project. Hi. Thanks for being here. You know, we've had a chance to get to know you better in the Copywriter Club and the Accelerator. And, you know, I think it'd be really fun to just start with your story and maybe parts of your story that we don't know. And specifically, how you went from sports marketing to content creator to copywriter. So can you share that that path with us? Yeah, it's kind of one of these paths that seemed obvious to everyone but me. I went to UMass for sports marketing, mostly because I wanted to work for the New York Rangers, which was pretty high school of me. But I had a good time there and learned a lot. The the biggest change was I had one professor there who talked about P.T. Barnum and Bill Veck, who was a baseball promoter. He owned the Chicago White Sox and the Cleveland Indians and really focused more on big-time promotions and making the game fun. And these guys didn't sit in the skybox. They were down in the cheap seats with the bleacher creatures and just having fun and talking to the people. So I realized pretty quickly that as much as I love sports marketing, it was more the marketing side that I liked. And that branched me to field marketing. And field marketing is essentially a fancy way of saying consumer sampling. So, you know, anytime you go somewhere and they're handing out different promotional items that could be drinks or chapstick or anything, if you're going to a concert or even just walking through the street and they're handing out different, different items, that's field marketing. I was super fortunate to land jobs with, with companies that understood field marketing for the right reasons. It wasn't just about getting people to, to try out your product. It was really more about getting the chance to explain your product to people. So I worked for Puma for a little bit, and that was geared towards running shoes. And we went to long-distance runners and marathons and really got a chance to spend a lot of time talking about the products with people. And I just knew that that's really what I wanted to do. I love talking to the people. I love getting the feedback. I love just finding ways and hooks to talk to people. That wound up leading to Red Bull, which is pretty much the ultimate field marketer in the entire world. Absolutely amazing brand, fantastic product, and they didn't just hire college kids to go out and hand out cans, and I know that that's what it can look like from the outside, and I actually do a little bit more of that now, but when I was there, it was all about the right message, the right person, the right time, and really building their brand through one-on-one communication, and they didn't care if one single interaction took 45 minutes. If that's what it took to get a customer, that's what you did. I had a fantastic time doing that. That's where I learned a little bit about improv training, which I know you've had other writers talk about that and, you know, Leanna Patch specifically, just being able to think on your feet. And as I was managing that team, I was in Savannah, Georgia and Charleston, South Carolina, and I was running the the Red Bull team there. I was noticing that essentially what a lot of the team would be doing is they would be talking about what's written on the can and it would have things on the back and it would say like, it stimulates your metabolism. So after lunch, we'd be going around saying, oh, you're going to want to drink this now because it'll stimulate your metabolism. The average consumer had absolutely no idea what that meant. So, you know, we kind of followed it up by saying, oh, that basically (laughs) means that you're not going to get a food coma after you eat. And they're like, oh, great. Fantastic. I always get that. Yeah, I'll try it. So I created a, a training program that took a few months to develop. We called it cause and effect, where we would always say, oh, well, this will 
cause your metabolism to stimulate so you won't get a food coma after lunch. You know, looking at it now, I can clearly see that that's benefits over features, but I didn't know that because I wasn't studying copywriting at the time. It was just something that I kind of developed and we wound up creating a national program out of it. So I did really well there. Five-hour energy was pretty much the next step for people that got too old to work for Red Bull. It's essentially the same product, just without the branding <laughs> and a lot smaller. But it was kind of like home, though. Everyone at five-hour were former Red Bull people, so it just it was a natural fit. Continued on with that. And after five-hour, it's kind of out of work for a little bit. And I said, you know what? I understand field marketing. I get this. This is probably what I should do. I'm going to give it a go. So I created my own business and I must have spent three months figuring out how to build a website and discovered copy hackers and just fell down the rabbit hole. I was like, this is what I want to do. But the problem was I spent so much time reading and learning and building out my website that I never actually marketed myself and ran out of money real fast. So wound up looking around and landed with IHG, Intercontinental Hotels. And they were looking for someone in content. I went in for a few interviews and really connected with the boss because we were just talking about, you know, just writing in general. And she was a former newspaper editor and magazine editor. And just we're talking about content really hit off. And I've been there ever since. So, Justin, I got to know, did you get to drive the car with the big can of Red Bull on top of it? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, man. Mini Coopers are small. And when they have a big can on the back, they're not very aerodynamic. <laughs> Everybody's seen the car, that's for sure. Yeah. I actually, I tried out or auditioned. I feel like you have to audition to yeah, get into yeah, no Red audition. Bull and college, and I got rejected. Oh. So I'm, I don't drink Red Bull because of that. I understand. That's the kind of lasting impression that we want to have <laughs> on people. Just opposite. <laughs> okay, so now that you are... Um, in your current job, what are you focused on there? What's your day-to-day -day like now? Well, I'm a content manager for loyalty and partnership. So IHG Rewards Club, um, just the, the general loyalty program, the points earning program about reward nights and all the things that you can earn. I create a lot of the content for that. And that could be anything from blog posts to email to the merchandising and banners that you see on the web. We have a lot of industry jargon for it and a lot of acronyms, but... Essentially, um, I talk about points a lot. <laughs> and yeah, I put out a lot of the emails. We've got a list of over 7 million people that we can reach with a, a single email. And that's kind of intimidating, but I do get to write out to them. Wow. No, no pressure. No pressure. Yeah. I'm very happy that the first time I wrote an email that went out to the full list, I didn't know. <laughs> So I want to I want to back up a bit. And you mentioned that, um, you know, after your field marketing jobs, you were out of work for a little bit and created your own business, ran out of money. What what did that time really look like? I mean, why? Why didn't it work? Was it just in retrospect, you realized that, oh, I should have been marketing. And when I was in it, I didn't realize that was important. Um, what happened? And how can other copywriters try to avoid that, that uh, so that they can, you know, really take off with their business. I wound up realizing pretty quickly that, oh, I, I don't want to do field marketing anymore. I want to do writing. And I went in it thinking I was one thing and came out thinking I was something else or knowing that I was something else. And do a lot of soul searching and make sure that you're going to make the leap for the right reasons and not be a big old dummy like I was. 
That's cool. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing in-house. Like you mentioned some of the things that you're writing, but what does being an in-house writer look like? Obviously, you're not writing every single day, eight hours a day. There are meetings, there's strategy. Tell us sort of what that all involves. Yeah. IHD is a big, big behemoth of a company. And we've got a 30-story office building, and I'm just a, a cog in the machine there. The thing that I love about IHG and just being surrounded by all of these people and, and this whole corporate machine is I have access to so many people. I've got meetings with our content operations team who make the websites go live and can understand the coding and why certain things will work and why they why they don't work. We've got data analysts that will tell you everything about how our websites are performing and realize how to optimize it. And they'll, they'll learn from all of the different programs and all of the other hotels because we have 12 brands. So we know if something's worked for one, it'll probably work for another, but there might be a reason why it doesn't. We have all the different brand voices. So when I have to write, I have to translate it into something that could fit intercontinental hotels, which is more higher end, as opposed to something like Staybridge, which is more of your mid to lower scale. So I get the chance to work with all these different brands. We've got stakeholders because we are a public corporation. There's definitely revenue attached to everything. <laughs> we have to always make money, <laughs> I guess, is, is sort of the ultimate. It's the ultimate goal, but we're still trying to find the balance. And I feel like we're all on the same page, but there are times that I need to say, hey, you know, I feel like we we might be going a little too far in one direction. Maybe we should pull it back and remember that the consumers come first. And usually people agree with that. Uh, we all have goals. There's definitely some pressure to hit them, but there's definitely a lot of meetings. And it's just nice to have all of these resources and and just so much more than I ever could have imagined and never would have a chance to do on my own. So one of the things when I worked in-house that I really liked is that I didn't have to deal with a whole bunch of clients, you know, tracking down the work, that sort of thing. But in some ways, that's actually not really true. You have lots of different clients are just internal. They all, they all have the same company name, right? So how does that work for you, you know, in providing for different areas of the company, the kinds of projects that you work on? You know, how do you balance all of that? It's tough. You know, as much as I always say that I'm writing for the end consumer, it does have to go through several rounds of reviews internally. So there are times that I need to sort of gear a little, little bit more towards the stakeholder and you have to write for approval. So, you know, sometimes some of your messaging gets lost and you have to cut out the personality to it just to make it a little bit more universal. We also have to do translations because we write worldwide. So we have to take out some of the colloquialisms that we might use. It's like, I remember getting slapped on the wrist because uh, I put the word awesome in something once <laughs> and it was towards millennials. So it made sense, but they're like, we can't translate awesome. Man, that's a, that's a bummer. If I couldn't use the word awesome, I don't think I'd be able to write anything. That's like, <laughs> it's tough, man. It's tough. It is an awesome word. I agree. And I like to use it. I, I think we overuse it a little bit, but of course, I guess at IHG, I don't have a chance to overuse it. So how do you stay creative? And, you know, I think anyone who's visited your website or worked with you, I've worked with you, like you are one of the most creative copywriters I know. How do you really stay creative when there are constraints and you're writing for a global market and, you know, you have different 
stakeholders and how do you do it personally so that you can make sure it's not only are you selling and making money, but you're also personally satisfied and in touch with building the brand and connecting with that consumer. Oh, well, first off, thank you. Secondly, uh, it's a balancing act. You kind of give up some of the creative freedom for a steady paycheck and benefits and <laughs> things like that. I try to put it in where I can. After two going on three years, um, I realized that it's not always going to be as creative as I want it to be, which is sort of why I do my own thing on the side. You know, that's where Pretty Fly came from. And the way that that started was, you know, as I mentioned, I write for 7 million people, but I don't write for myself there. And I've always loved children's stories. And I kind of, in my heart, always want to go back and one day write a children's story. And I actually started to do one with my daughter. I was like, you know what? I'm going to write for me. And she was six at the time. We were just having a, a fantastic time doing this. And we had an outline of a story. And I'm writing for her. And I'm loving it. And it's just being really creative and just kind of getting me going. And it, it's just right in my wheelhouse. And then... We have a really pivotal part in the story and my daughter wants to introduce some new characters and animals and have just take control of the story. And I'm just like, what are you doing, kid? I love you, but you're a terrible editor. And I was just kind of realizing, all right, now I'm realizing I'm writing for 7 million and one people, but I'm still not writing for myself. So that's when I created Pretty Fly Copy. And that was like, you know what? I'm going to do this for me. And but it actually started out as a blog, just sort of writing for myself and it evolved into, into actual copywriting. But that's where I get to be me. And I love my site. I love the voice on it. I actually went a few months without even looking at it for a while. And I went back and I looked at it and I was like, I still love this. And I was just like, this is me. This has got my fingerprints on it. And that's where I find the creativity. And I, I really only work with clients that fit my style and fit my brand. And I guess I'm fortunate to be in a position, at least monetarily, that I can say no to clients. And if it's not something that I think will kind of be my style and if it's not going to allow me to express myself, then I probably won't take the client. So I dig your website. I like the voice there as well. In fact, I love the fact that it's sort of an iteration from Shel Silverstein and uh, you know some of the influences you've had when you talk about your children's story. It used to be called Time to Fly and then you say that you failed or you fell. Tell us a little bit about that failure and, and how you sort of uh, picked yourself up from there. Sure. Time to Fly was after five-hour energy when I thought that I wanted to get into field marketing. I love the logo that I had on that site. I still have it somewhere. It's a flying hippo, which is based off of a Shel Silverstein poem called The Hippo's Hope. It's tattooed on my shoulder. And so that was the, the when I went into field marketing, but spent so long on copy hackers that I never actually launched, <laughs> but learned everything that taught me for, for Pretty Fly. But the idea was, in A Hippo's Hope, there's a story about a hippo who builds a set of wooden wings, and he walks up to the top of a hill, and it goes to like a choose-your-own-adventure style. And in one, he jumps, and he falls, and he breaks all his bones. In one ending, he jumps, and he flies away. And the other ending, he turns around and goes home and has cookies and tea. And I sort of took the, the idea of that, either try, fly, or walk away, and that's kind of been my motto ever since. So everything that I've been doing has a fly theme into it. So it went from time to fly to pretty fly. And, you know, I knew all the reasons why time to fly failed. And it's because I just didn't have the hustle and didn't really know 
how to put myself out there. I think I was afraid. Working in-house gave me a safety net and I can go out and if I don't get a client, that's okay because I still have my, my day job and it still gives me all the time and all the finances and and I'm covered and I'm good and I get to write and I work with amazing people. Pretty Fly is where I go when I need a little bit more creative outlet and um, it just lets me be me. So your favorite Shel Silverstein poem is? It's got to be Hippo's Hope. I love it. I mean, I do love uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends. Definitely one of my favorites. But Hippo's Hope, it's tattooed on me. Actually, I've got four Shel Silverstein tattoos on me, but Whoa. Hippo's Hope is number one. <laughs> <laughs> Super That's fan. Awesome. Yep. Should more of us, uh, more copywriters, look for their in-house gigs? You know, similar to your own. Are we potentially not thinking about it when it could really benefit our long-term career? I definitely would not knock it if you are starting out or mid-level and struggling a little bit. Yeah, I I recommend it. I love my job. Um, again, I don't have to worry about money too much. You definitely sacrifice creative freedom. But you get so much out of it. I, I learned about writing for mobile and web and even a little bit of direct response. And I get so much experience that I would have never had just focusing on either blog content, which is what I originally wanted to do, or email. And just getting the chance to write to 7 million people and seeing how my work can perform and testing against the agency controls that we have on pages. Yeah, it's such a great experience and you learn so much. And, you know, even just working with designers, which I never got a chance to do and seeing how my copy is going to work into layout and why certain text or headlines wouldn't work based on the layout of a page. I recommend it. It's good money and it gives you such amazing experience. And speaking of money, of course, we have to ask because we're nosy. Without sharing your exact salary, could you mind just sharing some rough numbers as far as what an in-house copywriter may make at different levels? Sure. Now, there's obviously different areas and different levels. And we have a lot of contractors, anything from full-time to, to part-time contractors that work two or three days a week, depending on, on where they are. And I'd say that, you know, in-house, you're probably looking anywhere from 50000 to over six figures. It really just depends on your market and, and what the company is. Cool. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the project that you've been working on for the past. Well, by the time we go live with this, you'll just about be wrapped up or you'll just have wrapped up the headline project. Tell us about that. What got you started on it, why you're doing it, and how it's going? Oh, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Copywriter Accelerator. It made me and broke me in the same day. <laughs> we were on a call just sort of talking about niches and where we wanted to go. I always, say, I always feel so pompous when I say niche. I say niche, but for our purpose. I feel, okay, I... I feel the same way, but I refuse to say niche. It just, I don't, I like niche better, but I always do feel like a jerk. Yeah, it's like it. GIF instead of GIF. I know it's GIF, but everybody <laughs> says GIF, and I'm going to say GIFT. <laughs> just one of those words. But anyway. Yeah. So, Copywriter Club Accelerator. I was really trying to find out what my niche would be, and I I thought I wanted to work for, you know, good-hearted companies like the, the B Corps that were giving back to to their community because I had worked with one and I really enjoyed it. And then I'm working on another client, totally different. And I was like, I don't know what I want to write about. So maybe I'll just sort of try different things. And I knew what I didn't want to do. And that was 
clickbait. I, I despise things like BuzzFeed. <laughs> They've got good articles and good content, but I hate the, the clickbait words and the clickbait headlines. So we're just sort of talking and I said, maybe I should just start working on some headlines for people. And uh, I think it was Bayardo in the club. I was like, yeah, why don't you write 100 for 100 days? And uh, being dumb, I was like, yeah, okay. So I think it was the next day I started writing 100 lines. And I'm, what, 70, 76 days in right now, I think. And I'm too dumb to stop. <laughs> but I'm nearing the end. I'm very happy about it. It's been a heck of a challenge. I'm really glad I'm doing it, but I'm going to be so happy when it's over. So let's talk about how it's been going. You know, what uh, what have you learned from it? What's hard about it? And what's gotten easier? Sure. As far as learnings, I've learned what I'm not good at, which is really important to do. So I've learned that writing for any type of formal type of product, anything like self-empowerment or woo-woo, that's not me. You don't do, I struggle you don't writing do tech. You don't do the woo? I don't do the woo. I don't. I tried. I failed. <laughs> um, those lines were not good. And anything that's a little bit more female-oriented, the post that always comes to mind is there, one, there was one for family photography and new mom photography that I tried. And I just, I hated that one. I, I can't get into this. I can't picture it. I don't know why anyone would really want to hire me for that. But if they ever did, I would say no, no, definitely not. <laughs> and I learned that my niche is nowhere what I thought it was. You know, as I said, I thought it was going to be like B Corp and good companies. But it's really more about the style of the business than the category of the business. I like some of the more out there, fun type of brands. But I also learned that I'm not as wild as some of the brands that are currently out there. What? Well, see, there are a few that I immediately looked at to say, you know what? I want to write for 100 headlines for Freakers, which is a sock company, and they also make beer koozies. They have some of the best branding in the entire world. I absolutely love them. And I looked at their site, and I was like, you know what? They don't need 100 headlines by me. They're fantastic, and I don't even know that I could write like this. It's just, it's great. So I needed to find brands that are, are sort of going for personality, but haven't gotten there yet. But I just realized that it's really more with social, the way that people's voices have taken off, and they've been able to be wild. I'm not big on social. I don't I don't do a whole lot with it. And I don't have that that style that I see a lot of really funny people on social have. So, you know, I learned that I can't do that. And then a few of the the ways that I've been able to to get my favorite lines are by pulling by outside sources or pulling from outside sources, excuse me. So songs, memes, that was a huge one for me. The day that I, I was searching and I just clicked on Google Images and I was hit with a whole bunch of memes for a category. It was for owl rescue. I was doing something on just how you can adopt an owl. And when I clicked on images and I was hit with stuff with Harry Potter and just different puns that people had posted memes with, the lines wrote themselves after that. So that was huge. I highly recommend that. That was a great stumble upon that I had. Even Reddit, uh, something I had never really been on and, and spent time on. But you can do some searches in Reddit and find some really interesting inspirations. Some terrible, terrible people on Reddit, but also some really funny ones. And I've also been surprised at how many posts I can swipe from that are completely unrelated to, to what I'm working on at the time. There was one that I did for improv comics. And it was actually improv corporate training called Do More Improv. And it's in the, the first 10 days. I want to say it was like day eight. That post has come about time and time again. And the lines that I've written for that are so usable 
in different blogs. And, you know, once I have the lines and they're written in my brain, just sort of ways to pull from it. And I kind of created the ultimate swipe file accidentally. Like once you do the work and it's yours and you can reference it by yourself, it just becomes such a great thing to pull from. So I'm happy that I'm doing it. <laughs> I, yeah, I've used your, your website and this project as a, my own swipe file as I've been working on projects and brainstorming and coming up with different headlines as well. I'd love to hear more about your actual process. So once you're sitting down, you're like, all right, I've got, you know, I've got to write a hundred today. Like, what does that look like step by step <laughs> behind the scenes? Like, what aren't we seeing that's actually happening? Oh, there's a lot of rum. There's a lot of rum and a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's changed a little bit over time. It's evolved. And I'm actually changing up again right now. I had a list that it was probably about 370 headlines and different formulas that I had gathered from just different websites. And I started with that and I used, I'd say the one that became the the go-to for me, at least for a while to get me started, was Laura Belgray's uh, Tackle Your Tagline Cheat Sheet. Go download that right now. Oh, wait, hit pause. Go get that one. And then when you come back, I essentially took the like the blank for blank and like six ways to blank. And I took that and I started going. And over the first 10 days, I probably whittled it down to about 100 lines that I liked. And I just had them there for reference. The goal was to start writing on my own. And I'd say the first days I was able to write 15 to 20. And then I would reference a few of the templates. And then I'd see like three lines and then write another 15 to 20 and then go back. It got to the point where I can write between 60 and 80 on my own without looking at the template now, just from the repetition, just from knowing what the styles are, just pulling messaging in and being able to put myself in the scenario and feeling all the feels that I want the reader to feel and uh, just getting a little bit more sensory with it. I try to write 50 at a time over the course of two sessions. It doesn't always happen, but a lot of times it's 100 at once. Usually if I don't have a chance to do it during the day and I have to do it late at night. So there's a lot of that. And then, then I have to randomize the order when I go back to look at it. And that's not to cheat so it makes a more interesting post, which I kind of feel like it is sometimes. But the reason is, is I hate every single line that I write when I'm done. I need about three or four days away from it to actually look at it and say, oh, you know what? These are pretty good. But when they're in order, I see my train of thought being written out. I see how one line leads to the next, to the next, to the next. So I need to scramble that up so I lose that train and I can see each line individually. From there, uh, I wait about three or four days to go and, and find those lines. And then uh, when it comes time to post them, which I'm a couple of head, days ahead of what you guys are seeing. I'm five days ahead right now. Then I just sort of I run down the list. I highlight my favorites and you know describe the, the learnings of each lesson. One of the things that has been interesting to me as you've written about the process and how things have gotten easier for you is that creativity is really a muscle. And the more you exercise it, the better you get at it, the easier it comes. And I think I've seen that, you know, as you've written and the lines have gotten better. I think for the most part, if you take the set of lines, you know, from day 75, they're, you know, significantly better than a set of lines from day two, right? Oh, agreed. Yeah. I think. Early on, I was definitely relying on the formulas too much. The first post was almost 100% formulas and totally different from what I was going for. Yeah, it's it's just sort of getting in that flow. I, as I said, I can write 60 to 80 without taking a break and without even looking at a template. Yeah, I've learned to, I kind of said it before, to put myself in the situation and 
think about, and this is actually where I pull from my field marketing days a little bit more from having spoken to so many people in different uh, scenarios while giving out Red Bull on five hour that I think about specific situations that I was in, that I was talking to people in. And I'll put myself in that spot as I'm writing the lines and just being able to pull from from that marketing background and just building that arsenal of scenarios. And, you know, that it's it's helped me be more empathetic with my writing. Something I think I've always been able to do, but I can do it even better now. And yeah, by far just being creative and pulling from different scenarios and, and lists and even pop culture. Yeah, it, it works. It never gets easy, but it, it gets easier. So what kind of motivates you at this point? I mean, this is a big challenge. I imagine it's painful some days, maybe not, but like what keeps you going and what advice would you give to someone who's considering taking on a big challenge? Maybe not this exact challenge, but something that feels daunting. If it feels daunting, do it. That probably means that you're heading in the right direction. That's the biggest one. As far as motivation, to this day, uh, the wallpaper on my computer is still, it's uh, from Joel Kletke saying, I give this exactly three days, LOL. And that was from the day that I announced it. Shout out. <laughs> it was written seven minutes after I posted that I was going to do 100 headlines for 100 days. So, and now it crushed my spirits for a few minutes. And Joel is a great guy. I will say this. He and I have spoken since then. And he's patted me on the back and he, he's cheering me on. But that was my motivation. It was once I put it out there, I was like, all right, well, I got to do it now. So I would say once you decide that you should do it, tell someone and that will hold you accountable. I could have done this by myself and I was like, yeah, no one's watching. I could have given up. But the fact is there are people watching and I've had some, I've had writers reach out to me that I respect and really accomplished people reach out to me and cheering me on. And yeah, people are watching. So say you're going to do something and do it. (laughs) That's the biggie. There's nothing special about me. It's not, I don't have any characteristic or trait that makes this any easier for me than it would be for you. Just do it. Nike up. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear, I know you're not finished yet, but what has the impact been as far as your business, just positioning, recognition, and, you know, and how are you using it to grow your business too? Some of the most motivating uh, feedback that I've gotten are just from copywriters starting out that have reached out to me and said, hey, you just encouraged me to try a 30-day blog challenge. Or I love watching what you're doing. I, I want to do something like this, but I don't know what yet. And to me, I still kind of feel like I'm that beginner copywriter that was just reaching out to people to, to get my name out there and to, to say hi and you know tell people that I like them. So to get that feedback from others right now is is insanely rewarding. That means so much to me. And I have every email that people have sent to me cheering me on, and it's it's been fun. My email list before the headline project was two, and they were both me from different addresses. Now I've got about 100 people, which is 98 more than I had before, or actually 99, I guess. Not a ton, but that's enough to keep me going, and I get um, I get people writing back when I send out, and it lets me know that I'm not in a void. And... I think that the part that I need to remember is that I'm kind of doing this for me more than I'm doing it for other people. So as far as the, the growth of my business, it'll come. I've already written some people, some lines for a few people that have said, 
hey, I like what you're doing. When I get something, I've, I'm thinking of you. I've had some people reach out to me, some other writers that I respect, asking if I've got time to take some referral work. I love that. Uh, that wasn't the goal of the project, but it's amazing. And I just, I love being a resource and a little source of motivation for people. To me, that's worth more than any amount of money I could ever make from it. And where do you go from here? What does day 101 look like? Oh, uh, more rum, but this time happy, happy rum. <laughs> Not to drink away the pain. I am going to take a little bit of time and take my wife somewhere. And we're going to go out for a good dinner and just me and her because I owe her the world for supporting me while I'm doing this. I'm probably going to step away from the computer for a week, probably shut down and just not write. Um, I need a break and I think I need time to process what I've done. It's just starting to click in what this achievement actually is and how hard it is. I think I'm in a little bit too deep right now, but I need time to process it. It's going to feel good. I'm going to enjoy getting my lunch hour back at work. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a biggie. I'm going to enjoy family time. I'm going to spend more time with my kids. But once I catch up on that and pay them all back for allowing me to do this, then it's time to take what I've learned and put it into practice. So, yeah, I was going to ask you next, just how have you balanced this or, you know, just the, the business, the job, the headline project and the family? Like, what has that looked like for you, especially since you've been you are in the hard stage now and many, you know, many of us can relate. So even though it's not ideal right now and you're going to make it up to everyone later, how do you make it work now so that you're not, you know, just you, you get sleep and your family does not hate you right now. <laughs> I, I don't. And they do. Um, <laughs> there's even a few posts in the recap. I'm just like sort of dialed this one in cause I need to go and spend some time with my family. There was, I think it's between post 40 and 50, probably after that recap, you can read it and you'll see that I'm getting burnt out at that time. And things at home weren't great because of this. I just wasn't active because I was spending so much time on the project. I reprioritized a little bit after that. I tried to get everything done on a lunch hour and as opposed to dividing it up and bringing stuff back home. And when I started the first post, I was eight days ahead. So I was writing day nine when I was posting day one. It wasn't until I think I hit the f about the 50-day mark that I actually cashed in one of those days. I've since cashed in three. I went camping with my kids, and that was great. I, I realized that uh, family always needs to come first. That That's big. And this list will wait. And I even had people write to me. They're like, man, we don't care if you take 107 days to do this. It's fine. We just like watching you. And once I sort of got that validation from people that it's okay and they understand that I'm human... It let me put my guard down for a minute and, and be a dad first and foremost. Um, so I'm in a good spot now. Again, I'm happy that it's over. Uh, my wife is happy that it's it's not over yet, but uh, my wife is happy that it's nearing an end. I'm going to be glad that I did it. We even spoke before I started it, so she she had a heads up that I was going to be working my butt off for a while. But it's I didn't balance it well at the beginning, and that was a mistake on my part. I'd say that was probably even one of the bigger learnings was how amazing my family is and that I need to spend more time with them. Very cool. So you mentioned that the headline project came out of the accelerator. And this may sound like a self-serving or selfish question, but having gone through the accelerator, what else did you get from the focus on establishing a foundation for your business that that program gives? 
Oh, the the networking was phenomenal. And I think I was always a little hesitant to invest in myself. You know, I'd look at some of the courses and be like, wow, that's I, I need to work to get all that money back. But every time I've invested in myself, it has paid for itself. So do that first and foremost. <laughs> get the training that you need. And Rob, actually, I think you were talking about that in the 50th anniversary that you guys just did. So invest in yourself. It's worth it. Build a network, even a Slack group, just so you can get some feedback. You know, just being able to bounce ideas off of other writers and, hey, how's this? And is this line work? That's been great. And then as far as just sort of the foundational, I guess I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, and that was big. I knew that there was some stuff that I needed to get in place to build my business, but I didn't know what it was. And I didn't even know where to begin searching for those resources because that just leads you down a different rabbit hole of other things that you don't know. So being able to network with other people that have successfully done it and made the mistakes. And again, I've, I've started a business and failed it. I didn't know all of the things, all of the reasons why I didn't fail, but now I feel like I do. And you guys really just fast-tracked me with all of that. It would have taken me months upon months of doing things wrong to ever even realize how far down I had gone without it. Oh, awesome. I, I'm really curious because you, you know, because you were in the accelerator and, you know, you have a slightly different background. You've been in this big challenge and project. You've observed copywriters in all these groups. What do you notice as far as a missed opportunity for copywriters today? As far as maybe where we're not, we can up our game or if there's an opportunity that we're missing? I'd say that there are a few different things. One is embracing the constraints that are put on you. You know, I've been listening to Jay Akunzo a lot and he's been talking about writing in a box and that you're always writing in a box. You just, you might be in a box that you're not comfortable in, but you're always in a box, whether it's the resources that you've got or your deadline or your clients, things that you have to say, things that you can't say. Don't get too upset with that and just accept the fact that like, okay, here's what it is. And don't complain about it and just go forward and you'll find a creative way to do it. That's an important one is you just hear a lot of people trying to change a situation that they don't like to fit their style a little bit more. And while I admit that you do need to find clients that are the right fit for you, sometimes accepting a new challenge that's uncomfortable is probably a good idea. I'd say reaching out and just talking to people, building your network. I mean, Copywriter Club's got, what, 4,000 people now? And you hear the same people over and over. Chime up, chime in, speak up, be heard, develop a voice for yourself. You know, it's not, I said before, there's not like there's anything truly special about me. I just did it. And it, it's been awesome for my career and awesome for my development and just my confidence. Just talk and reach out, talk to people. Awesome. That I, I love what you've done. I love the headline project. It's fun. We should probably say that we've stolen one of your lines uh, that we're going to be using for, uh, for our own tagline uh, when we do our rebrand uh, that we, we love. And so we're, we're excited uh, to see that actually in print someday. But um, if people are looking to find you online, Justin, where do they go? And uh, how do they, you know, how, how do they get the, the wrap on the headline project and what you're up to next? Well, I'm at prettyflycopy.com. I'm on the tweeters at prettyflycopy. Actually, you can find the headline project at theheadlineproject.com, which actually is just a redirect to, to Pretty Fly Copy. And I'm always in the Copywriter Club on Facebook. 
Thanks for hanging out with us, Justin. And we're excited to see, you know, you wrap up and uh, celebrate with you as well in Florida next month. Yeah, looking forward to that. It'll be fun. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Justin. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode.